I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, the bank built and supported by industry super funds. Ever wondered about getting a better deal on your home loan? Well, it might be time to get in touch with MeBank. Whatever your investment strategy you'll find a loan that's right for you with competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So stop wondering and start saving. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the show. you're trying to set your barometer to say you're trying to achieve X amount in 20 years, if you're not enjoying that 20-year journey, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's the point in creating wealth? This is Property Investry, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we'll continue the conversation with Paul Glossop, to learn more about his property strategy in both the investing and development space, how he was able to walk away from his full-time job and start a property career and business, and the personal viewpoint he has that drives him to continue investing and helping others every day. Delving into how he's developed his own property portfolio and client's property portfolio, Glossop shares why he likes to use a strategic, personalized approach when it comes to investing or developing. Our strategy in general is not necessarily to say that it's sort of, a, I guess, a graduation ceremony of buying and holding, then to maybe doing a small-scale renovation, then a you know, granny flats, then subdivisions, then full-scale developments. Because, I mean, truth be told, I've got properties that I've bought in the last year or so personally that are still set to forget. I have no intention of doing anything with them for a long time. But it's it's kind of a uh, much more of a what fits the strategy, what fits the budget, and what fits the potentially the risk appetite as well. And if I speak about developments and how they fit for me, they are always going to be something which fits in someone's portfolio. Most certainly after I think they've got three, four, five in excess potentially of that of properties which they've bought, they've held, they've held good times, they've held through bad times, and they have a very clear understanding of their personal cash flow because that's something that developments can very quickly do is bleed your drive your own personal cash flow until you've completed them. And then also have a very good ability to tolerate stress, uh, tolerate risk, and, and to make sure that they've got buffers in place to, to make sure they can warrant all those. and. If we've ticked all those boxes and we're in a position to say, yes, we can still go and direct our money into something that's going to be proactive, um, then for us it says, well, where's our budget and what are we trying to achieve? And is, is it a buy and hold? Is it a buy and sell? Is it a potentially buy and, and rent out um, or buy and live in? All those things come into play. And from my own personal experience, that's um, that's gone from as small as I've personally done, uh, I guess the smallest development would be a corner block purchase uh, keep a, a house on the block, subdivide, cut in half, build a second house on a separate street frontage, 
which was, I can give an example there, there was one that I've done, which was as low as a $220,000 purchase price, uh, about a $270,000 construction, as well as subdivision costs, et cetera, to then turn a one property into two properties with about a, probably about a, an 18 to 20% ROI on that whilst having cash flow the whole time because the, the existing house is, is rented and that's a very entry-level price point with a, a simple and understandable end goal as well as decent cash flow. Um, all the way through to something, I'd say I've done numerous in between, but something I'm doing personally right now back in Sydney, which is a close to $3 million purchase of a, a large piece of land with a full flattening subdivision of a one property into two separate titles, building four luxury duplexes, um, which is probably going to be upwards of you know, $5.5 million totaling costs. But again, still uh, looking at yeah, making sure that the cash flows can be managed, making sure that the, the, the purchase was funded via very good consecutive investments elsewhere and, and making sure that I have very good finance strategy to release equity when I could, um, to make sure that equity is available to go in for deposits, for construction loan deposits, et cetera, which we've done in the past and, and set us up very well to do such a larger scale development, which we're undertaking at the moment and make sure your buffers are in place, your cash flows are in place and you know what your end goal is. And part of this development is actually going to be partly at home as well as partly an investment. And that's something I personally have been a big proponent on is I've, I've actually for, personally been renting for the best part of the last decade when we've upgraded, even when we've upgraded family homes, we've basically moved out of them very quickly to then maximise our borrowing capacity and minimise uh, what our overheads look like. So we still live where we want to live and we're renting there, but being able to invest elsewhere until we've found the perfect, opportunity which has allowed both a development which is a profit-making development which also turns itself into our home which will be our home forever. He adds that aside from temporarily renting as a means to eventually build his forever home, Glossop has found that it's actually more sensible in this case to rent in the current market. Comparatively to mortgage repayments, even at historically low interest rates, um, you still look at comparative mortgage repayments for a mean dollar loan in, in any given suburb in Sydney and or Melbourne for that matter and you, you equate it to what the equivalent rents are for the exact same properties in those suburbs and you can do your calculations very quickly to note that if a market's not moving upwards, which neither of those two markets are currently, then if your asset's not going up in value and your rents, you know, call it 20 to 40% cheaper on equivalent repayment, then where is the sense or sensibility in owning that property unless you truly and fully are committed to say this is the only property that you ever want to live in? Glossop shares that his motivation to work stems from not only a desire to be time savvy, but from the perfect nirvana he's found working in his business and his co-workers. Our why has always been time and, and I'm always a big proponent of saying, well, why? Well, why is for me that I've just been trying to figure out how to buy time quicker. And by buying time, it comes down to what do I need to earn per year based on what I spend and what my wife and I spend and what we spend as a family to say, well, if we spend this, when are we going to be able to get to the point of our properties producing this? And that then in turn means that work and anything else that I do that's related to work or running my business is a choice rather than a necessity. Um, that's that's always been the why, and, and we're pretty close to finishing off you know what the why is at this stage. But the beauty about what I do for a living is what I love doing outside of what I do for a living as well. So. Um, sometimes the why is just making sure that when I wake up in the morning and I go to work is that my why and I, truth be told, since I've started running my business for a long time now, I haven't felt like I've been working at all uh, for some time and I'm probably quite fortuitous is that I've made money in property but also run a business that's designed to make money in property and I'm working with people who are very, very like-minded. So 
I've kind of found a bit of a perfect nirvana for myself. And, and truth be told, all my team members are in very similar positions where we're all very much aligned, that we're active investors, we love what we do. So most of us find that coming to work for us is as far from a chore as you can possibly imagine. So it's, um, it's, it's actually quite a unique scenario, which we've ended up creating unexpectedly, to be honest with you, because I thought, well, it's something I'm passionate about, I'm enjoying, but I didn't expect to be able to find like-minded team members who will be able to do the same thing as what we do and it just delivers such a better outcome for our clients as well. However, while Glosser asserts that an interest in property is key to being a buyer's agent, he adds that a passion for property does not necessarily mean one can run a successful property investing business. I think the biggest the biggest caveat I'd say to that, though, mate, is that, I mean, buyers agents in general probably get a big rap over the last four or five years, and there seems to be a lot of them coming out of the woodwork. Um, this is because someone's invested in a property, all of a sudden they're a, they're a genius investing in property. But the biggest aspect to running a business in general is being a passionate property investor is, is the furthest thing that, that equates to being a good buyer's agent or being able to run an efficient business. And they're two very, very different things. And I think anyone who thinks, oh, well, I love property, I've invested in a few and made a bit of money, um, therefore I should do this for a living. Um, the, the, the difference of that versus what the reality of that is, is, is astronomical. So as much as I love what I do, and we've got an extremely good process and system set up for how we operate as a business and, and how we actually source secure and work with clients, it, it definitely wasn't something that was opening up a, you know, a, a quick uh, textbook to say this is how you start a business, this is how you run it because there's, there's no shortage of, of things that you need to understand that are going to be long, they're going to be expensive, they're going to be quite um, time consuming um, so be prepared for that that mission and that was a big part for me is that when I did decide to, to quit my, you know, it was quite a lucrative corporate career I was in for the time is that I knew that I was going to be completely unattracted to the banks to borrow more money for some time to come when I hadn't turned a penny in a business um, so making sure that there was a very, very clear strategy and an exit as far as releasing equity and having cash flow um, was a big part of, uh, I spent the best part of two years building that position up. So I knew that at the day that I did want to walk away from a, a, a guaranteed paycheck in a corporate career that I knew that I could still actively invest and that I wasn't going to be hamstrung, which has meant that I've been actively investing nonstop for, for well over a decade now. So exactly what strategies did he implement in order to position himself to be well off when leaving his job and starting his investment business? If I look at that strategically, one thing I think I'm very good at is being strategic and sort of understanding what's the move after the move and being a bit more chess-minded in that sense. And part of that was I reflect back on that, that small development that I was speaking about is that was a property I purchased I think back in 2013, maybe it was from memory, um, but intentionally knew that I wanted to develop that site and if I didn't have to develop, I probably would only be developing it now because the ROI obviously increases as your value of land increases. But I knew that uh, I had equity in, in a host of other properties elsewhere. Um, so what I chose to do was go do a one big foul swoop of equity release as well as get to the point of thinking, well, if I'm going to start this business, and I, this is you know, caught five years ago now, then I want to be in a position where I can develop this site, I can get finance to do it, and I can make sure that I'm cash flowed to do it as well. So we say that a very good buffer, and, and I made sure that there's always a good actual cash buffer rather than equity buffer in place. So that was always there as saying that's real money, that's not that's not paper money as far as it sits in a bank and is, it depended on the property values that I own. But then on top of that is equity releases to leverage that, that amount, let it sit there in a, in a line of credit account. And then as well as that, working with my broker who's exceptional at sort of thinking about, well, how do we strategically? And he knew what my plan was. So 
your plan was to say, well, how do we get approvals in place before you go and walk away from your job to A, get your finance approved based on your income as it is now, and B, also get your equity released so you can actually go and fund the deposits for these. So they were all the things that I got in place for that particular development, which meant that at the time, when I did walk away from my job, that development was always already on its way halfway through. So I didn't have to worry about finding funding. The funding was already arranged, but I knew that after that development, there was going to be a good wedge of equity available in that additional, additionally to what was already bought and, and already settled. He adds that his careful planning process in conjunction with a reliable team is what essentially allowed him to further his property portfolio after that first development. What happened after that development, which was probably six to 12 months after that was completed, was I was able to then go and do another equity release on that because probably made, I call it 100, 150 grand in equity out of the development, which then therefore was released, which kept us liquid again to go off and keep moving forward. So there was very good liquidity in the, in the, in the, uh, in the assets across the board, but there was also extremely good cash flow. So one of the big things that I've always focused on is looking at pairing up assets with good cash flow assets. And they're not always the same property. Um, if you can find both in one, then fantastic. But being quite pragmatic to say, well, I know this property is going to deliver me potentially a good equity upside. I can't necessarily say that that's what the bank's going to look at when they're going to say, well, how are you going to service the loan? Sure, you've got equity, but you don't have cash flow. So that's the key is having properties that are all serving a purpose. And at the time that you know I was looking at walking away from a Oh, I had a cash flow positive portfolio that had a ton of equity in it as well. And, and that's why I've tried to keep it, even though there's been more equity and more money that's been injected over time, both through income and through properties and through development. It's made sure that fundamentally the portfolio has always been cash flow positive. There's been a few equity releases. There's been developments which allow for equity to be released. And mitigating risk too is that nothing I've done personally has been extremely high risk. And I like to make sure that that my sleep easy test is, is making sure that any asset that I particularly have at any given point in time can be sold and it's never going to be just sold to a developer because you know in Sydney or in Melbourne at the moment, if you've got a development site, that's great. But to find a developer who's prepared to take on a site, you've got a lot less of them now than you did have two years ago. So for me, it's holding properties which at a pinch, for whatever reason, you can get rid of and you can sell to an owner-occupier. So there's quite a few levers that have to be considered. Um, and I think it's having a very much a helicopter view of the world to understand all those different aspects. And having a terrific team, and oh, I'm not going to proclaim to be a genius at what I do because I've got a lot of very, very good people who advise me, much, much so that I look at the same thing with our clients and we're the buyers, agents and strategists, but we don't provide finance, nor do we provide accounting advice or legal advice. And we want to make sure that you have those team members to get the best outcome because they're all the people that you need in your team to, and the best investors I know have, have the best people in place on all those different checks and they're usually never the same person. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into the influences behind Paul Glossop's journey and the steps he took to get started in property I really realized quickly that if I want to surround myself with like-minded, it's not necessarily as far as my direct friends, but people who I probably look at and say, well, I want to be able to emulate where you've done that. And I try to find those people to say, well, let's look at the successful people who are near me, who are happy to share information with me. And then from there, try to align myself with them. So the mindset that has kept him on the path to success. I think sometimes being comfortable with saying what is important to you and staying true to what's important to you will always mean that I think you stay the course in property a lot more as well. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Story. 
This episode is brought to you by MeBank, a different kind of bank built and supported by industry super funds. You could be getting a better deal on your home loan by getting in touch with MeBank. They offer competitive rates and two loan types, one with a range of features including the ability to fix your rate and have multiple offset accounts and another that's nice and simple with no ongoing fees. Both loans provide the flexibility of interest only or principal and interest. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a home loan that's right for you. Stop wondering and start saving by giving MeBank a call on 131563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to the show. Hey podcast listeners, have you got cash or equity that is currently unused sitting in a bank account that could be invested into a property asset to generate a greater return? If the answer is yes, then register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. When you become a money partner with me, it enables you to receive opportunities to get a minimum of 20% plus returns on your cash or equity. To find out more, visit propertyinvestory.com. Now back to the show. Discussing what influenced him to jump into the property investing world, Glossop explains how it was the everyday investing discussions that led him to a journey of seeking out and networking with individuals who were successful in the property industry. Initially for me, it was, and as most people are, it's usually you know, you're, you're a product of the five closest people around you and initially that was what it was. It was friends, it was other people who would probably delved a little bit into buying a home but nothing too much more complicated than that. But as I, I really realized quickly that if I want to surround myself with like-minded, not necessarily as far as my direct friends, but people who I probably look at and say, well, I want to be able to emulate where you've done that. And I try to find those people to say, well, let's look at the successful people who are near me, who are happy to share information with me. And then from there, try to align myself with them. So I'm very good friends with, um, fortunately, a lot of people who probably have done a lot more than what most can do in the property space. And that's um, people who work in the development space, people who work in the data space on the property-specific data space and who can give us a lot more insights into what's happening in different markets all the way through to you know, the, the really necessity of the you know, my mortgage broker as an example has been a property investor in multiple, in multiple cities across multiple countries for a couple of decades and he's seen a lot of different markets at a lot of different times and understands finance better than most. Um, and, and as well as my accountant is uh, is someone who's got more property than most people put together and has been investing for three decades and understands those aspects very, very detailed um, and also can share a lot of insights into what makes and doesn't make a successful property or a property portfolio. So it wasn't necessarily to follow exactly what they said, but it was to probably taper a bit of comment from all of those different aspects ongoing and then filtering it into my own comfort level and what I knew I wanted to do and where I wanted to go which allowed me to probably, if I ever saw an opportunity or I was thinking about what's next, then I'd filter or rebound that information off a couple of those people. And, and I actually used the buyer's agent. For my first three properties, I used a buyer's agent. So so that was the other strong component here is that I'm a, not only a big proponent to say I am running a business uh, and, and have multiple buyer's agents in this space, but I, I see extreme, and I did earlier in the piece, so very, very good value in what a buyer's agency provides and the outcomes that they can provide if they're the right aligned by his agent. It was alongside this source of information from successful property investors and developers that Glossop also educated himself on property by reading books on investing. 
think there's quite a number out there. Um, I think I always liked Jen Summers' original book. That, that's kind of the cornerstone to what everyone should probably be looking at. Um, but beyond that, um, I like to probably align myself a little bit to um, Bryce Holdaway, Ben Kingsley, who've just released a new book. But they've got a, a couple of others out there. But the Unshare Guide to Property Investing is always a nice cornerstone entry-level book. Um, I'm personally actually about to release a book. Funnily, just brought up books, mate. I'm releasing a book more so on my personal journey and a little bit more about how people can align mindset to as well as how they can align mindset to a very, very clear and, and obvious way to make money in property investing and then basically understanding the fundamentals of all of that and how to put it together. Um, there's, there's over, I mean, Robert Kiyosaki stuff I find resonates quite well. I don't necessarily align myself with a lot of probably the, the teachings and the potentially the Americanisms of it. Um, but that's a market or a property that, uh, sorry, a book in a property market that has a lot of very interesting understandings of just cash flow in general. And I think the barefoot investor, Scott Papes, as much as I don't think he's necessarily hell, uh, hell aligned to, uh, to property, I think there's some very good takeaways for fundamentally how to manage money. And the more and more, uh, I guess, we see things like the Royal Commission coming to play and, and tightening of scrutiny on lending standards and, and people being able to understand how to create buffers in potentially a rising interest rate market is the management of money and people being much more aligned to that is going to be something that's more and more important as well. Glosser also shares his advice and thoughts on the importance of understanding long-term compounding and cash flow and how these can benefit you in the long run. I think there's things that, that you see and, and, and it's a very, very... Uh, point in time in, in, I think, property investing for Sydney siders and Melbourneites right now where the market's starting to turn a corner and you're going to get a lot of people fearing a few different bits and pieces about what's happening and what's going to happen is is be prepared to understand what long-term compounding does to property and, and not necessarily what long-term compounding of 7% per annum does to property but what long-term compounding does to 3 or 4% average annual returns on property. And, and looking at it, at it as if you're paying down a debt over 25 years and that debt's increasing by 3 or 4% over 25 years, a very hot tip I have for anyone is to jump on the ASIC website and, and Google Compound Interest Calculator and, and just go put in there you know, something like a million dollars and how that would look compounded over 25 years. Anyone who's 30 years of age or 35 years of age thinking, well, how do I get to a better retirement? Go put in a million dollars into a compound interest calculation and even holding it without adding any extra extra cash to it. And basically, if you're thinking you can factor in a principal interest repayment over that time, which means it's going to be debt-free by that time, figure out what 3% capital growth per annum compounded over 30 years will provide you and, and it opens everyone's eyes up. So I think Einstein's adage of, of it being the eighth wonder of the world is truly what I personally believe is that property is an illiquid asset that needs to be held for the long term. And there's money to be made short term, but ultimately, the most successful investors I know have been in the game for over 20 years. And if you're prepared to stay in and stay the, stay the journey, and and part of doing that is to make sure you understand your cash flow to be able, able to allow you to stay the journey, that is what's going to create more successful investors and less people who sell too soon or don't manage their cash flow and buy the wrong property type. Mentioning the importance of staying grounded and true to the goals that drive you in everyday life, Glossop delves into the personal habits that have helped him in his property journey. I personally think the biggest thing that, that has stayed true to myself personally over the long term is, and, and I foresee it as it hasn't changed, and I've made a lot more money in property in the last three or four years than I made in the first seven years, and, and part of that's just being in the game longer, 
is that I haven't necessarily changed my personal mindset on what's important in life. And even though there's been more money and more equity come into my life, it hasn't changed anything as far as I drive a very simple car. I, I live a very simple life. I don't have anything different that I aspire to. And that's partly because I'm very, very happy in the sense that for me, happiness comes into being able to spend time with people who you love and enjoy their, their company. And I think making sure that irrespective of whether your happiness is going to come from a Lamborghini or whether it's going to come from just having more hours at home with your kids, making sure that you understand what that why is. Because if you get deviated or, or, or if you get sidetracked on saying, well, we can do this and it's going to mean that we can do a lot more or spend a lot more or have more time overseas or whatever it is, but that wasn't initially why you got into what you were trying to achieve, then you'll consistently be chasing. So for me, that's that's the biggest important part is being comfortable with and being confident in sticking to what your why is and, and try not to deviate it because that is the challenge that I think is that we live in a westernized society that there is a lot of immediate gratification that can come from buying things and from keeping up with the Joneses. And I think sometimes being comfortable with saying what is important to you and staying true to what's important to you will always mean that I think you stay the course in property a lot more as well. And why he believes that the journey you take to achieve your goal is just as important as the end game. I couldn't agree with you more. And you look at it, I mean, you, I think Jerry Harvey famously quoted the difference between having 10 million, which is still an awful lot of money, having 10 million and a billion dollars in the bank account is, is basically the friends who you share your time with, but it doesn't make him any happier now. Obviously, we'd all like to be sitting there with 10 million in the bank to be able to make that, that decision, but I think we can basically dull it down a bit further to say, well, it, irrespective of where you're going to get to, if, you, if you're trying to set your barometer to say you're trying to achieve X amount in 20 years, if you're not enjoying that 20-year journey, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's the point in creating wealth is it in that, that 20 years that it's taken to create that wealth, you didn't enjoy yourself, you really want to think about, well, is this really worth it? So making sure that regardless of what journey you choose to go on the path of, that you're happy with uh, what you're doing in the meantime. Because if it's if it's stressing you out and it's not worth it, then I personally don't see the, the value in it because everyone's best using now. And irrespective of how old you are, your years don't get better. They, they typically get harder and you become more tired and then older and everything that comes with it. So I think trying to make sure that you have your, your mindset on enjoying the day that you're in and saying, look, I'm going to create something better long term, but I'm still going to make sure that everything in between is, is taken as a lesson and keeping a smile on your face whilst you're doing it. With so much knowledge and success now, Glossett looks back in hindsight to tell us the important piece of advice he would give himself 10 years ago and why others should consider this piece of advice too. Especially when I was a younger buck and, and probably got a little bit, I don't know, probably carried away with what was, what was as you do when you're probably a little bit more fresh out of, of school and fresh out of uni thinking I'm going to go take over the world, probably understanding what true happiness is and, and don't don't be disillusioned with the fact that that really that those, those bigger, shinier, faster cars and the objects that come with it are really what, what is going to make you happy. And most of the time, any, anyone who reflects on when they were in their teenagehood or when their happiest times as a kid was is usually when you're footloose and fancy free and that usually meant you're driving a, a terrible old used car or catching a bus or a train and you're hanging out with your friends and that you had a bit of time to yourself and, and that doesn't change and the older you get the more of that you want and I think rather than aspiring or thinking that that's what you need and want as much as it's good motivation try to find the motivation and how to create time and uh, I think that's probably one thing I would have been a lot more attuned to is, is and I think my travel allowed me to probably be a bit more grounded than most at that age because I did actually value it a fair bit but I think even when you're, especially when I was in a corporate gig, you saw a lot of people with probably a lot fancier things than I ever had and thinking that that was important and that's what I wanted to aspire to. 
but um, I think being true to what importance uh, certain things have on life and, and don't get deviated and, and choose your friends wisely because that's the key too. I think when you're at that young impressionable age, who you choose to associate with is typically what your what track and what what field you're going to end up taking on in life. So being aware that who you associate with is going to determine a fair bit of the outcomes that happen in life. He also delves into what the future holds for him and what he's most excited for in his personal upcoming property journey and how he aims to help people through his business. I'm completing this development over the next 12 months and I'm going to do some really fancy detailed documentation and I think one thing I'm excited about is probably showing people out there both not necessarily how to just invest in fundamental cornerstone properties but also how to take the journey right through to things such as full-scale development sites and everything in between as well. But if I, if I continue on, uh, it, that, that's the part that I'm excited about is, is as a business sharing more of the holistic component of, of investing and in showing people sort of start to finish and how that can actually work just to make sure that people I think are a lot more aware of, you know, it doesn't just mean that you buy boring set and forget properties. It doesn't just mean that you look at development properties, but it's also what your whole portfolio would consist of if you're going to do this long term and being able to share a bit more of a, a holistic approach to investing. Finally, rather than testing his property success to purely skill or luck, Glossop shares his belief that it is a combination of strategy, teamwork, calculated risk and hard work. I'd probably say the skill component, I'll be, I'm not going to say I'll be modest, but I'm, I don't think I'm that skillful in what I do at all. What I do think I am is, is I'm, I'm quite strategic, um, but I, I definitely have had no, no shortage of hard work in everything that I personally have achieved. And, and I think it's not just me, I say that my wife's not on the phone, but she's been part of, of our finance and, and property journey the whole way. And I think a big part of it is making sure that, that the hard work and there is no substitute for it, as the adage goes, is, is a component that's always going to be super important and nothing will come for free. Um, and I think the luck component, look, I could say that I was I was lucky. I could say that I was unlucky in property. But for me, it comes down to, look, I could have sold very quickly and I would have deemed myself to be unlucky in property. Whereas if I haven't sold, now I, you know, people will potentially label me as lucky in property because I've been in the game longer. But that's part of the strategy is to buy, is to, to hold, is to have good cash flow and to as I think it's Lee Trevino says, is that the more I practice, the luckier I get. So um, it's, it's a bit of the way I see property is that the more I do this, the more I know where you know, people will perceive luck. But what I do know is that what, what is always going to be perceived as luck is, is essentially good calculated risk with a, a good dash of hard work. Having had a successful property journey this far and with much to look forward to in the future, Glosser adds how you can get in contact with him. They can jump on our website, purepropertyinvestment.com. They can also uh, jump onto our Facebook site, our Instagram site, but we've got a ton of free education on our Facebook site. That's uh, Sorry, on our our Facebook and and webpage sites um, and they can jump on to contact us. There's a few links to to be able to contact us directly from our our webpage, which uh, they can effectively schedule a free consult with me just by clicking a button. Um, And it's something that we always are very much uh, pro in doing is being able to sit down with as many people as we can. We have an obligation-free strategy that we just sit down and go through people's ins and outs and figure out what they're wanting to do. And if we fit into that equation, then great. If not, then we still try to make sure that we give our two cents on where and what uh, we see as opportunities for them. So um, there's a bunch of different ways, but if they just Google us, Pure Property Investment, uh, they'll be able to find plenty of information on us. Thank you to Paul Glossop, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. 
If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinveststory.com. Also, have you got cash or equity that is currently unused sitting in a bank account that could be invested into a property asset to generate a greater return? If the answer is yes, then register interest to become a money partner by SMSing me your email address on 0499881040. When you become a money partner with me, it enables you to receive opportunities to get a minimum of 20% plus returns on your cash or equity. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening. If you love the show and you're ready to get serious about saving on your home loan, give MeBank a call. MeBank is the bank built by industry super funds, famous for their competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find the loan that's right for you. Call MeBank on 131-563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply.